Welcome back to Out of the Bubble. My name's Rachel Peru and I'm a grey-haired curve model and I'm going to be your host for the Outer Bubble podcast. I started a new career four years ago, age 46, and found on social media so many amazing, inspiring women who were really embracing life and leaving a trail of inspiration along the way, helping to break down those stereotypical middle-aged barriers. So I thought the podcast would be a great way to share some of these stories with you. So season three, I'm really excited to be back. I've been chatting with a diverse set of women of all ages, whose stories I know will help women become more confident in body and mind. So welcome back to this week's episode. And I'm inspired by women on a daily basis, which is why I set up the podcast in the first place, to be able to share these stories of women getting on with their lives in extraordinary ways. So my next guest has been on an incredible journey through cancer and is on a mission to help show other women that living flat is more than okay. So let's welcome Juliet Fitzpatrick, who is helping other women by being such an active campaigner and is also a shining example of why the media and advertising need to start representing more diversity in that advertising. So welcome, Juliet. I'm so glad you've joined me today. Thank you very much for having me. I'm really glad to be here. How do you describe what you're doing to people? I guess what I'm trying to do is increase the visibility of women um, who are living flat, which means without breasts, after they've had mastectomies due to breast cancer, and also trying to break down the taboos that society may still have around women living without breasts. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so I blog... I do podcasts, um, I do media, I've been in a few adverts, but it's all about trying to show people who've got cancer, who haven't had cancer yet, but sadly might get it, that um, living flat without reconstruction is a positive choice. Yeah, I think I love what you're doing and I can't wait to share the uh, some of the campaigns that you've been involved in during this podcast. So to set the background to your story before, what was life like pre-2016? Oh, gosh. Well, to pre-2016, life was um, very normal, whatever normal might be. Um, I've been married to Liam, my husband, for oh, 21 years then. We yeah. met in our third week at university, which is really, really corny, but it's true. It's lovely. <laughs> so we were 20 when we met. Um, I had two children, still do have them, um, Dan and Laura. They were both, uh, they were both at Manchester Uni. Um, in fact, that's where Liam and I met. So we're a, a whole big family of Manchester University graduates. Excellent. Um, yeah, I, I was working with Liam. He's got his own um, communications consultancy. So I was I just do the admin for him, um, do the invoicing and the spreadsheets and all the, the boring parts of it, but the things that need doing. Mm. Um, I, lo- I was enjoying doing sports and watching sport, walking with dogs. Very mundane, everyday life, really. And then 2016, January, um, you got the devastating news of your cancer diagnosis. Yep. How much of that kind of early early moments and early few months can you actually remember? That's a very good question, actually, because it is a bit of a blur when, when mm. you're going through it. Um, so just to set the scene, I um, was 54 and I had just gone for my second routine mammogram. Thought everything was was fine. I was very blasé about it. Uh, mm. I'm very glad I went. And um, I got a recall letter 
um, to say that there was something not quite right, but not to worry about it because most of these recalls um, don't, don't come to anything. So I didn't worry about it. I went to um, get more tests. And um, while I was there, it kind of escalated. Um, I had biopsies and scans, and, and I could tell by the um, doctor's faces that there were some suspicions. Mm. Um, and came home, was convinced that I had breast cancer at that point, um, although they hadn't told me that. And two weeks later, I went back again to the hospital and that was confirmed that I did have breast cancer. And it was a total shock because I didn't, hadn't felt anything, hadn't seen anything, and I did examine my breasts. Um, yeah. So yeah, I was totally in shock. Um, and I don't, the only thing I remember about that first um when I was told was that the doctor couldn't look at me in the eye and was wearing the most terrible wig that you'd ever seen in your life. So oh no. That kind of stays with me from, from that particular appointment. That's not a good look. No, it really wasn't a good look considering all the women yes. in, the, in, the, in the waiting room who, who were also wearing wigs. Um, yeah. So from yeah. there, um, very quickly was told that, um, you know, I would have a lumpectomy and some radiotherapy couldn't really take it all in to be honest uh, mm. and went home bought my eyes out I think that's what happened yeah <laughs> yeah I can imagine well I can't imagine oh, but... no. um so how quickly was treatment and then having was it a left mastectomy didn't you yes in the end so how quickly did that happen um it all happened fairly fast um as I said I had to have a lumpectomy um, because they thought they would be able to remove the lump without the whole breast. Yeah. Um, and I think I had that about three weeks after the diagnosis. So it was really quick. Um, went in for the operation, which I was petrified about because I really hate operations. Mm. Um, and then about, I think, 10 days after that, uh, went back again for the results of that operation. And, and at that point, um, I was told that actually they couldn't get all of the tumour um, from that operation so I had to have a mastectomy and that was when things really started getting even more upsetting actually because I don't know what it was but to be told that I had to have a mastectomy was was incredibly traumatic I just mm. couldn't conceive of living my life without my breast yeah. um, and also they told me at that point I had to have chemotherapy um, again, which was, oh my goodness, I don't know how how I can deal with that because all I could think about was I'll have one breast and no hair. Um, and that just seemed something that was completely out of my thought process. Just, yeah. um, again, it was very quick after that. I think it was a couple of weeks later I went in for the mastectomy. Um, but in but at that at that point when they told me I needed the mastectomy, they then started talking to me about reconstruction. Right. Again, which I hadn't ever thought about, yeah. thought about mastectomies or anything. And um I was sitting there feeling extremely shocked that I had to have the mastectomy. And then they started my doctor started telling me that I could have this amazing uh reconstruction, which sounded fantastic to me um at the time. Um that they would take some um, fat from my stomach and graft it up onto my chest and make a breast-shaped mound I guess mm. right um, and is that the route that's not the route that you that you end up going down at all is it no no it, I didn't so what's what was 
was there something medical that made that not happen or was that a, a, a decision that you made? Um, it was a combination actually of, of the two things. I, uh, at the time, I kind of thought, yes, okay, this is what I have to do. Um, basically because I didn't get given any other options at all. Yeah. Um, so I kind of thought, well, okay, if I have to do that, then I have to do it. I don't really like the sound of it, but I'll go, I'll, I'll do it. Um, mm. At the same time, though, because they thought I would have to have radiotherapy, it would be a delayed reconstruction. Because right. if you're having radiotherapy, they can't, they don't like to do a reconstruction until a year after your radiotherapy because the skin can become really um, thin. Mm. Um, burns and dry and so there's no point in doing the reconstruction so it gave yeah. me a little bit of time to kind of think about it um, and by the time I um, came to have my mastectomy I had decided that I didn't want reconstruction at all yeah I did my own, own research found out that I wasn't mad for starting to think that I was wanted to stay flat and actually would prefer to have my right breast removed as well at the same time um, yeah I mean that's something that like you say it's just not an option as far as the doctors and, and health mm -hmm. services is, is concerned at that initial point they don't offer that do they or talk about it even. in some circumstances they they do um if, if you've got cancer in both breasts then yes uh, they mm -hmm. will remove both of them also if you have some um, genetic um what do you call it? Uh, if you've got genetic propensity to have breast cancer, then yes. they may remove both of them at the same time. Like um, Anjali uh, Jolie. Yeah. She yeah. had she had both of hers because she was BRCA. Um, so, but for me, my surgeon said no. Um, he wouldn't remove both of them at the same time, even though I knew that I would, didn't want to have reconstruction. So right. I said, okay, well, fine. Let's let's just do the, the left one for now, and then I will keep pestering you uh, and yeah. um, see see where we get to. So, how long does it take you to convince him? Um, Which to me, even that word sounds ridiculous when you think it's your body yeah. and your mind, yeah. and you know how you feel. To have to convince somebody to do something to yeah. you is it, it, it yeah. definitely did feel like I had to convince him, and it took about eighteen months. Um, so every right. time I went for a checkup, um, I would say again, "Look, I really would like this." my second breast removed because what I haven't said is that I had really large breasts they were a double g cup I was a 34 right. double g and yeah. I'm five foot two so they were I've always had large breasts um, yeah and living with this one very large breast was uh it was really difficult and unpleasant actually I really didn't like it and obviously everything mm. I say is my choice and my decisions and Yes. Other women make their own choices and their own decisions, and I completely back them up, whatever they want to do. But for me, the idea of living with this one large breast for the rest of my life was completely a no-no for me. And I think you're right. I think it's that thing of it's about choice, mm -hmm. isn't it? It's about having those options yeah. available without having to fight yeah, for it. Absolutely. But it, it 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 is the case that many women have to fight for either to have a to have um to remain flat or to definitely to have the second breast removed um and you know all i wanted was to be symmetrical it wasn't because i was yes. worried that my cancer would come back because i'm definitely not because my you know my prognosis was always very good um and that i would make a recovery which i have but uh, i just wanted to be symmetrical i really didn't want to have to wear 
a, a, a huge prosthesis every day yeah. for, forever. Um, yeah. Anyway, I kept asking him um, and he kept saying, well, let's wait a bit longer, wait a bit longer. And then I think I, 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 I sat on the edge of the bed after being, he'd examined me one, one day and just said, look, um, why do you think I want to live like this? Kind of looking at my chest with this one large breath. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of got through to him in the end because that was when he said, okay, let's schedule another, the second mastectomy. So, yeah. hmm. And what difference did that make to your own mental well-being about your body and how you felt about yourself after having that yeah, done? It was massive. It really was. I felt so hmm. much happier. When I woke up after the first mastectomy, I was absolutely devastated. And I, it took me, it took a long time for me to look at myself, like at least, a couple of days you know I didn't want to look look at it at all um but mm -hmm. when I woke up after the second mastectomy I w I just felt I just felt relieved so much happier so much better um and mm. when I looked at myself in the mirror I, I you know it was like a weight a weight had been lifted off but it was an emotional yeah. an emotional weight had had really been lifted off me um yeah. I just my body felt I just felt lighter all around really yeah I mean, that's the thing. It's about your mental well-being yeah. as well. I mean, going through such a difficult few years, what what was the thing that did get you through some of those darker days? Oh, my goodness. Um, just really trying to take every day as it came. Um, and now that has not always, that's not easy and it doesn't always work at all. Um, especially when I was having chemotherapy, I felt really down and very, quite depressed, actually. Um, I just wanted to be on my own a lot of the time and I felt quite, uh, yeah, lonely, I suppose. So, but, you know, if I could get outside, um, take a little bit of exercise, just go for a walk or accept that on a particular day, I wasn't, if I wasn't feeling happy, then that's how it was. And that, you know, hopefully tomorrow will be a better day. So I, I always yeah. try to live each day as it was and also think to myself, it's okay not to be okay. I know that's a cliche. But, um, yeah. And also, you know, this is going to end. This will pass. And um, yeah, this is what this is where I am today, I suppose. Yeah. And I think the, the thing is, at the time, there wasn't, I would imagine there wasn't many other women talking about being flat-chested and having the yeah. double mastectomy. So you didn't have... Did you have a kind of support network of women around you that had been through similar experiences? I didn't have anyone that I knew physically, like in real life, but I did find um, a great community online. Um, and that was how I um, basically was helped to make my decision. So I came back after that, after my first appointment, um, when I was told I needed a mastectomy. A couple of days later, just Googled, you know, does everybody who has a mastectomy have reconstruction and the answer was no and um, yeah. I found a really really amazing um, Facebook group you know online community called Flat Friends and everybody in that group has had either one breast removed or both breasts removed and no reconstruction and it's that, that that really really helped me so much because you go on there ask any questions that I wanted there would always be somebody who um, would reply, would give me advice, give me advice on how to speak to the surgeon. And so that that was a really huge support for me, and it, and it got me through some really really difficult times. At what point did you start blogging? Was that part of your kind of way of dealing with um, it? It wasn't actually. I didn't start blogging until um, 
until I'd had the second breast removed. And um, right. I don't know why that was. I felt at the time that I, I didn't feel really able to document my whole experience. Uh, I know loads of people do as they go along, but I, I just didn't. I did write a few notes, but I, I didn't, didn't start blogging until I'd had um, my first online photo shoot, actually. Um, a friend yeah. of mine did some pictures of me and I loved them. I thought they were amazing. And uh, I decided that I wanted other people to see them. Because yeah. I hadn't personally, I hadn't seen any photos myself until I went looking for them, um, and that's when I started blogging as a way of talking about choices, options, but also getting the photos out there. And the photos are incredible. How did you feel before doing the, the images? Is it something that you just felt really confident about, or were you worried about doing? I it? did feel really confident actually, because um, the photographer Sue uh, Sue Lacey. Um, has became a really good friend of mine while I was going through all the treatment. We'd met mm. about, we hadn't met very long before I got cancer, actually. We met through walking our dogs. Um, and um, she was just one of those people that became a, an amazingly great support to me. She was incredible. I don't, I don't know why or how, but we just hit it off and we carried on walking all through all through my treatment and um she came and did a photo shoot for me at home um when i was bald after chemo when when i was in chemo yeah. and they were fantastic pictures and then she did another one um um i think where oh after i had my first haircut so she was kind of documenting parts of my journey and then i said to her you know after i had this operation i said i'd love it if you would come and do some topless photos for me once my scar yeah. has healed and because I, because she was such a good friend of mine, and she was really up for it, she wasn't phased at all. I, I just felt really confident in her and very safe, and I knew that she would do a brilliant, a brilliant job, which which she definitely did. So then that led to is am I right in thinking that led to the behind the scars project yes. with Absolutely. Sophie Mayen? So how so how did that all? Come um, I. Um, so once I started blogging and getting the photos out there, I thought I would really start campaigning and doing advocacy and all this kind of stuff. Um, so I was on Instagram and I was looking around for scar pictures and other other communities that I could connect with. Um, and I came across behind the scars, which I, I don't think Sophie had been doing it for too long then. So I contacted her and said, um, I would love it if I could come and um you know if you if you if I could be part of your project so she scheduled me in um went along to her studio wherever she was I think it was somewhere in southeast London at that point um and did a shoot with her again it was really great she she's just such a fantastic photographer as well in, in a different way to, to Sue but she's got her I don't know she just really connects with um people's bodies and um just is, is incredibly sympathetic with the way that she she shoots I think um and that was that was another brilliant shoot just helped me with my confidence again did it feel like it, it, empowering really because not only were you helping yourself but having those images out there for other women to see and and for some women that might have been struggling at that time to be able to relate to somebody else I think it's a wonderful it thing. is incredibly empowering both for me and, and and I hope for other women in fact I know women because mm. you know I have had quite a lot of feedback um from people from women who've seen seen the pictures and you know some women have, have actually um told me that because of seeing some of the images that I've put out there it's helped them to make their decision on whether to have reconstruction yeah. or not um 
so yes for I yeah it is incredibly empowering I it's really helped me in my recovery because it's given me a purpose and something else to focus on um and mm. you know some kind of meaning it's basically made a neg really horrible negative experience into something positive yeah I've just got some um, amazing images of me smiling with no breasts which is bizarre but amazing as yeah. well and then by saying yes to something like the behind joining yeah. in the behind mm -hmm. scars projects yes. we then went on to do something even yeah. more incredible with the dove show yes. us project yeah that was again another surreal thing so that, again thanks to sophie mayan she was asked by the agency who was on behalf of dove who was organizing this project called show us to um submit i think three or four women that she'd taken pictures of um, to potentially be part of this huge project and she put me forward as one of the women and uh, a few other few other women as well and um, yeah so they picked me and also I think two other of her women so she had three three subjects in in this project and basically what happened was we had a day when she came into my house and we just took loads of photos and um, show us is is um a joint project with Dove and Getty Images and also the agency is called Girl Gaze. They're American. Mm. And it's, it's to make a huge image of stock, stock images on Getty where anybody can go and find women who are all different colours, different ages, different shapes. Um, some are, you know, disabled, all sorts of different women, you know, different yeah. trans women, lo loads of stuff. And um, for, for the media and for advertising, to use normal real well whatever normal is but women basically mm. and the, you know the idea is you can't be what you you can't see yes show us yeah. more women that look like me so sophie came to my house we had to do lots of different um shoots you know so i i was pretending to be a businesswoman or you know i was with my tennis racket or i was doing my gardening you know we went for a walk with the dogs down the canal near my home um and then we did some topless shoots uh, top, topless shots as well um mm. and I think about 55 images of me went into the Getty library which is which is fantastic and, yeah, and then um they are I, I heard that they wanted there was a possibility that one of the images was going to be used as a global image and so I didn't mm. really think too much of it and then um out of the blue they kind of called me up or emailed me and said yes one of your topless images has been chosen as a global image. So we will, we would like to use it wherever we want in the world. And, um, you know, um, maybe on billboards, maybe on bus shelters, maybe on, I don't know, anywhere that they wanted to put it basically. So I said, yeah, okay. That sounds really exciting thinking, wow, this is, this could be amazing for representation and visibility for yeah. black women basically. Um, and I woke up one day last year, about this time last year, or maybe April, um, to somebody that I know in America saying, um, I've just seen you on a billboard in Times Square. <laughs> I mean, that is just amazing, Julia, yeah. isn't it? it was, yeah, it was. it was very, very unbelievable. So my reaction was, oh, my God, I need to get on a plane. <laughs> but I didn't, yes. I didn't do that. Um, so, yes, it, it, was, it was in Times Square. And then it then it was went to Piccadilly Circus, which I did go and look at, which was absolutely incredible. You must have been so proud of yourself seeing this. Yeah, I'm sitting here smiling actually as I remember it because it, it was well, yeah, it, I was incredibly proud of myself. Um and just I I just was so happy to be able to represent 
a type of body that people just don't see. And, you know, there yes. are thousands of women live like me who are living without breasts and they never see themselves ever. For me, it's basically twofold or threefold, I suppose. Number one is it's fantastic for me to see to, to have such a positive impact on my own confidence and, you know, self-empowerment. Number two, it's amazing for other flat women to see themselves in mainstream advertising and media. And number three, you know, what about all those women and men, I guess, who haven't got breast cancer or um, but may get breast cancer or their mother or their sister might yeah. or their daughter might. And and maybe they'll remember seeing somebody without breast and, and, and saying, OK, it's this is the, it you can make that positive choice. You don't have to have reconstruction if you don't want to. Breaking down yeah. those barriers. Yeah, it, it is, definitely. The good thing, the, ama- the other really, really good thing that happened on the day that I went to Piccadilly Circus, and I didn't know this was this w- would happen, but um, Sophie, I posted on um, Instagram my stories saying, on my way to Piccadilly Circus to look at myself on, on the billboard, <laughs> as you do. And um, Sophie saw that. <laughs> And she called me and said, oh, I'm going to Piccadilly Circus now as well. So we met up, which was incredible. And, you know, had a selfie of both of us in front of this huge picture that she'd taken. Were you this body confident when you were younger? <laughs> or have you? Or has this journey brought it a different kind of confidence It definitely brought a different you? confidence to me because I have never really liked my breasts. Um, I have always been very self-conscious of them because they were so big. Mm. Um, they did a brilliant job you know I fed my two kids um, and that was that was fantastic but I did I really didn't like them they were Mm. I had to wear very big underwired bras if I wore something that was quite fitted I I did feel quite self-conscious I always felt people were looking at me Mm. and no I didn't like my body really with, with with the breasts I was known for having big breasts that was People saw me and I didn't like it at all, actually. You know, it's it's the whole yeah. thing about what society thinks about women and their breasts. It's just, yeah. um, no, I, so I wasn't confident at all. And it's just very strange having had them removed and not replacing them, how much happier and more confident I feel about my body now. When yeah. I go out, nobody notices at all. I thought they would. I thought people would go, oh, she's got no breasts, you know, but actually... No, I got so many more stares when I had my large breasts than I do now. And what about reaction from friends and family when you when you told them that that was your decision, you were going to have both of them so that you were going to be flat-chested? What was, there, was everybody supportive or did you find um, that you felt judged? Virtually everybody was supportive. Um, yeah, my Liam, there was no problem at all. He was, I want you mm. to do what is right for you. He was incredible yeah. the whole way through. Both of my kids, again, totally supportive. All my friends, once I'd done, you know, once I explained why why I wanted to do what I was doing, were very, very supportive. I guess the only the two people, I guess, my mum and my uncle, and they, you know, they are a lot older, and I just don't think they understood. Um, and that was their yeah. first reaction. It was, oh, well, you'll change your mind, or or you can do it in a year, or maybe in a couple of years you'll you'll feel different. But you know. Once I talked to them and really got them to understand why I wanted to do it, they they definitely understood and came round. So yes, they're all incredibly supportive, and they're all really proud and about what I'm doing. So oh, I'm sure. I mean, what else have you got lined up? Because you are really active in campaigning and and using. You found your voice, voice, haven't you? And and I think that's really important because you've got 
an important message to get out there so how else are you looking to use that? well I, I want to do more podcasts and I would like to try mm. and connect with people who are not in the cancer world um, because I think yeah. people within the breast cancer world are definitely starting to um, well they, they a lot of a lot more people know about it now and that's not just from me but that's you know other charities other support groups you know, like flat friends there's some really active groups in america as well who who talk about being flat a lot so i'd like to try and yeah. get involved in in more non non-cancer media um podcasts whatever um but just be, again yeah. because I think it's less known there. People just don't think about it and don't talk about it in, in everyday life, which is why it's great yeah. that I can talk to you. I did, a, I did another advert with Dove, which went out on American TV, which is incredible. Prime time. Amazing. Um, about, it was um, oh, body, body lotion. So shower, shower gel. And um, mm. yes, I was in that, um, which was fantastic. I think it was in the cinema as well. Um, and I think it's going to be coming over here um in the summer hopefully so oh, i would like brilliant. to do that i mean i i'd like to do modeling more modeling i think and more writing i'm thinking about trying to maybe write a book possibly if i ever go through it um yeah. and just some more more campaigning and, and advocacy really and just trying to keep keep it keep it going i mean in terms of the modeling how what changes would you like to see? Because yeah. I, I, you know how I feel about it. I feel really strongly that the media and the fashion industry do not represent enough women of different diversities, whether it's mm-hmm. body shapes, body sizes, heights, no, colours, whatever. It's just we're no. just not all being represented. No, Certainly older women. So, what changes do you have? You seen changes in the last few years? Do you think? Oh, I think it's. Still... I think it's definitely improving. Um, I think people like you, you know, being out there as a as a an older lovely grey-haired woman like myself <laughs> um, or should I say silver I'm not sure um, <laughs> I think it is changing but I, it definitely needs to go further I've had a relationship with um, a, an agency called Zebedee oh yeah, yeah they yeah, do they really do good campaigns, campaigns. And, and I I've almost signed for them twice but then Dove have come back and I you know with contracts and all that kind of thing I can't I can't be yeah. part of an agency working for Dove but um, I right. would definitely like to work with them in the future I, I think yeah. the more that advertisers can use older women you know different shaped women um short women you know why, why do you have to be tall to mm. be a model you know it's it's yes. um so I, I do think it's getting better and I think that um you know the body positivity and acceptance movement is really helping with that as well because I think mm. I don't know you probably know more than I do but um I think advertisers are seeing that women want to see people that look like them i think they are i think they're slowly understanding mm. that actually you know they've, they've got to start giving women what they're, what they're asking for because they're the ones that are spending the money and they've got you know we yeah. want to see relatable women whatever shape size you are we want we want to be be able to relate mm-hmm. yeah, to somebody definitely. don't we so um, as far as your kids are concerned what a great role model you've been in being able to show them that you're just embracing this new stage in life and getting on with it after see after obviously they've seen yep. you go through what you've gone through what what do they they say love it <laughs> my daughter's a yeah. journalist and um she she thinks it's great she's uh, always looking for opportunities for me which is very good of her but no they always yeah, i mean i think they're really proud and i think they really like their friends seeing it as well you know that, um that mm-hmm. you know they've got a cool mom who's sort of getting her kids off <laughs> but no yeah. I, 
I hope that I'm a good role model for them. I think I think I am. And oh, yeah, are, yes. I, I know that they're really proud of me. And I mean, never, never once have they said anything negative about what I'm doing at all. I just that they think I don't think that they can quite believe that the woman I was before to to who I am now, I suppose it's. Um, yeah, I, I, I yeah. I think they were they're surprised. <laughs> but, so what what would you go back to to what would you say to your kind of younger self now, knowing how you've coped with all the different situations that you've been through? What would you go back and say to yourself? I guess yourself? I'd say not to be scared, really, to try and you, you know, you you can get through things if you just are patient and accept that um bad things happen, but with a bit of luck yes. and some determination and hope, um, you, you know, you can prevail, I guess, and to try and accept yeah. new opportunities. Because I definitely was n- not very good at doing that at all. I was a little bit yes. backwards and coming forwards, really, and, and, and not very confident about myself. So I think try yes. to push yourself out of your comfort zone. Again, another cliche, you know. No, yeah. so true, and, and you never it? know what, what will come from these things because I had no idea, you know, by doing, by starting to do these photo shoots, I had no idea, clearly I would have no idea where I would end up. And it's just kind of a knock-on effect, really. And I can't wait, wait to see what else you achieve in the next few years, Julia, because I'm sure that's not. not the end of it by <laughs> far. Yeah. So last three questions. Have you got a favourite song that motivated you through all this? Well, my lads have two. <laughs> Yes, you can well, have two to. songs I <laughs> listen to all the time are Bridge Over Troubled Water by Simon Garfunkel, because I just love that yeah. so much. And the other one is September by Earth, Wind and Fire. It makes me dance oh, yeah. around the kitchen every time I, I play that one. So if I needed a boost, I'd go for that. And if I wanted to be a bit more mellow, I'd go, through, go for Simon Garfunkel. Well, I shall give you both of those. What about... An, well, an that was really book? difficult because I love reading and I read a lot but I was thinking about it today and I remembered one that really did affect me at the time and it's called um, Man's Search for Meaning it's by Viktor Frankl and he was um, he was a he's a holocaust survivor he was in um, I think he's actually no he's dead now but he was a holocaust survivor he was in um, I'm not sure which camps but he wrote this amazing book it's all about survival and having hope and finding meaning in your life whether that of work or in love or or courage basically um and he kind of talked talked about the fact that you can't control what's going to happen to you but you can try and control how you feel about it and what you do about what happens to you and what about who i'm going to say my daughter laura because she really is an inspiring young woman and um i wish i'd been like her when i was at her age that's so lovely well, you are an inspiring woman, Juliet. So thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. If anybody would like to know more about Juliet, please go to bloomingcancer.co.uk. And you can also follow her on Instagram at JulietKFP and Twitter at JulietFitzy, F-I-T-Z-Y. And thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I wish you all the very best for everything else that you go on to achieve. I will be looking out for thank you, Thank you Juliet. so much. Thank you. Uh, it's, been, it's been really good talking to you. Thank you for listening to this week's Out of the Bubble. And I hope it's left you feeling inspired. I'd love to hear from you. Who inspires you and why? Please get in touch. You can contact me via my website, rachelperumodel.com. 
or leave a message on the Anchor app. And if you're listening via iTunes, don't forget you can leave feedback. In the meantime, keep being fabulous. <laughs>